Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, turn with me once again to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, as we continue walking through this familiar story of the prodigal son. One of the most important and one of the most common word pictures in all of Scripture, one that you really must have in your mind as you walk through this life, is the picture of two paths. This is all throughout Scripture. That in life, it appears that there are hundreds of different paths to choose, but in reality, that's not the case. There are only two paths. There's a path that leads to death, and there's a path that leads to life. And every one of us, no matter what we want to call our path, is on one of those two paths, headed to life or headed to death. This is the entire theme of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, the father sits down with the son, And tells him that there are two ways to live in life. You can choose the way of wisdom or you can choose the way of folly. And throughout the next nine chapters, the father tells the son in very explicit detail that throughout his life, there will be voices calling to him, pleading with him to take the voice of folly, the path of folly. There will be the the voice of the scoffer who mocks at everything and thinks everything's a joke. There will be the voice of the sluggard who is lazy and doesn't want to do anything. There will be the voice of the simple-minded person. There will be the voice of the seducer. Chapter 5 and chapter 7, this constant seductive voice that is calling the son to follow the way of folly. But the father also says, you'll hear another voice crying out in the streets. It's the voice of wisdom saying, choose me, follow me, because I will lead you to life. Two paths. This is how Jesus finishes his Sermon on the Mount. One of the reasons we end every service with an invitation is because Jesus ends his sermons with an invitation. And at the end of his sermon, he says this. He says, listen, I've shown you the way of the kingdom. And in reality, there's only two ways to live. You can choose the broad path with the big wide gate. It's easy. And most people go there. But it leads to death. Or you can choose the narrow path with a small gate. Only a few people go there because it is more difficult, but it leads to life. And Jesus is pleading with them to choose the way of of life. Now, that little picture that goes all the way throughout Scripture is an important reminder for us. It reminds us that our decisions always take us in a direction that will ultimately determine our destination. Every decision is pointing us in a direction, and that direction will ultimately lead to our destination. What that means is this. Every decision, small or big, matters. Because every decision has consequences. There is no isolated decision. A decision is turning us in a direction, and that direction is leading us to a destination. Now, last week, We looked at the prodigal son and the lie of leaving home. It's the same old lie that Satan has been telling from the very beginning. The lie of Luke 15 is the lie of Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. And it's the lie that he still tells us today. In our thoughts of all of the crazy demonic stuff that happens out there, the reality is Satan has one primary weapon. He just lies. He's good at it. What he does is this, is he, he lies to us by telling us that life with God is no good. 
Life with God is confining. That there's no freedom there. That if I stay with God, I'll miss out on a better life. And then he tempts us with a vision of a better life out there outside of God. He tells us that real life and real freedom and real joy and real experiences are always away from God. He just lies to us. And it's the lie that Adam and Eve believed, and it's the lie the prodigal son believed. Because sin is not simply about breaking the rules. It's about leaving God. Sin is rebellion towards God. What it is saying is this. It's saying, God, I believe there's something better than you. Sin is always choosing to walk away from God because we have believed the lie that there's something better other than him. Exactly the lie the prodigal believed. And so with these grand visions of freedom and life and joy and experiences, he left the father's house and ran away. There's one thing you need to know about the lies of Satan. He never shows us the destination. He never shows us the destination. He, he will try to get us to make this decision, and he will show us the direction. He'll say, listen, if you make this decision, all of this is waiting for you. And he spreads it all out in great detail, doesn't it? And as we talked about last week, it is amazing how little things that we don't even try to see, we see. And little experiences that we have give us a little taste of life without God. And sometimes it makes us hungry for more And the enemy simply wants us to make little decisions. And he shows us, this is what you can have. But Satan never shows you the destination. In other words, he shows you the lie of leaving home. But he never shows you the consequences of leaving home. This is why we need the story of the prodigal son. Because the prodigal son shows us what it looks like to believe the lie. And even though his situation seems a bit extreme, we will see as we walk through this passage that the reality is this is the experience to some degree of everyone who has ever wandered away from the Father. Look what it says, starting in verse 11. We'll read through verse 16. If you're there, say amen. And he said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property That is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Our focus today in the next three verses. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went. And he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verses 11 through 13 show us that Satan's lie is always the same old lie. You have a longing in your heart. You have a desire for something more. And instead of running toward the Father for greater intimacy where you will find what you're longing for, the enemy says run away from the Father because the Father's the problem. And we run away from God in hopes to find what we're looking for. The enemy gives us this grand vision so it is the prodigal son had. But if the first few verses tell us the same old lie, the truth is, is the following verses show us the same old consequences. 
If you believe the lie, you will end up in some degree or another the same place the prodigal did. There are three consequences of sin, three consequences of leaving home that I want to encourage you to write down. The first one is this. Sin leads us to emptiness. Sin leads us to emptiness. It starts in verse 14. It says, when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Two words that show us the emptiness of the prodigal son. The first one is famine. A severe famine arose in the land. Now, we don't understand famine, because if we run out of food or we have a bad season, we just get it from somewhere else. I'll never forget, as a 21-year-old college graduate, I moved overseas for a few years, And it's the first time I had ever been in a place where you could only eat things at the time of the year that they came. And if it wasn't a good season, you didn't get those things. I'd never experienced that before because in the dead of winter, if you want strawberries, you can go to Kroger and get you some strawberries. You might pay more for them, but you can get them. And I remember that it was cherry season and there was all of these cherries, but then a couple months later there were no cherries and that's just the way it worked. And if there was a bad season, you just didn't get those things. You see, there's nothing worse that could befall a nation at this moment than a famine because there's nothing you can do about it. And God often brought a famine upon a people to wake up a nation. He here brought a famine to wake up a wandering son. Completely out of his control. Nothing he could do to stop the famine. And he began to be in need, it says. Now, it's not just need. The the prodigal was destitute. Because it says that he had spent all that he had, verse 14, when he had spent everything. So he has nothing left, and then a circumstance arises which makes it impossible for him to get something else. He's in absolute poverty, and I don't know how long it took. I don't know if he had five great days. I don't know if he had five great months. But at some point, after taking everything that he had, a third of all of the father's property, having blown all of it, he came to a moment in which he had nothing left. Famine and need are a picture of absolute emptiness. Sin, as it always does, promises something great, but always leaves us with nothing. As I'm meditating on this text this week, I keep thinking about Romans 6. In Romans 6, Paul is making the case that you have been freed from slavery to sin. So why would you sin and put yourself back into slavery? It doesn't make sense. And then he says this in Romans 6, 21. What good have you ever received from the things you are now ashamed of, knowing that those things always lead to death? What a great question. Think about the sins you've committed. Think about the times you've wandered away. Is God able to make something good out of a terrible decision? Yes, in his grace he does that. But what good have you received from the times in which you've wandered away from the Father? Have those times really led you to greater joy and greater life? Was the lie really a reality? Paul is saying, no, it never is. It's always a lie. At some point, everything else will be gone, and you will find yourself empty. And so the prodigal son did. The lie was that life is found outside of the Father. The truth is... Life is really only found in relationship with the Father. But look at verse 16. It says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. I love that word longing. If you're marking your Bible, that's a great word to circle because it is another sign of of emptiness. He was longing for something he didn't have. There was a longing in his heart 
for something. He was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. It's not simply a sign of his physical hunger. He was empty and he was a man of longing. I was reading just in my normal Bible reading this week from the book of John, and I came to John chapter 4. You, you know this story. Jesus is going through Samaria, and he sends his disciples to get him some food. He's there alone at a well. And a Samaritan woman comes up, and Jesus asks for a drink of water. She says, why would you, a Jew, be asking me, a Samaritan, for a drink of water? And Jesus says this, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for living water, and I would have given it to you. To which she says, you don't even have anything to draw water with. She's not quite getting it yet. And Jesus says, I am the living water, and, and I am the only one who can quench your thirst forever and ever and ever and ever. And then Jesus says what appears to be the cruelest thing he could ever say to her in that moment. Jesus, who knows her life and who knows her story, brings up in one moment the most shameful, embarrassing part of her life. Jesus says this, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, that's right, you don't. You've had five husbands, and the man you're now living with is not your husband. Why in the world would Jesus in this moment, when he's trying to build a relationship with her and, and get her to come to him, would bring up the most shameful part of her life simply because he wanted her to understand in that moment that she's empty and she's been longing for something to fill the emptiness, but the one thing she's chosen has never yet worked. And she didn't figure that out after husband number one. And she didn't get it after husband number two. And she didn't come to her senses after husband number three or four or five. And she's got another one she's thinking about marrying. And she still has not yet figured out that more husbands is not going to fix the emptiness in her heart. Now listen, it is so easy when we come to a passage like the prodigal son to look at a guy like this and say, I am so thankful I'm not an idiot like that guy. And it is so easy to come to a passage like John chapter 4 and say, can you believe this woman with five husbands and another one she might marry? Six husbands, can you believe that? I'm so glad I'm not like that. But let me just tell you something. If we're honest, we all have five husbands. We all have a certain emptiness in which we're trying to find a way to fill it. And it may not be husbands. It may just be money or it may be cars or it may be homes or it may be clothes, or it may be more things for the home. There is something in all of our lives that we tend to look to to fill the emptiness in our heart. And when a little bit of emptiness starts to rise up, we go run toward that instead of running to the one thing that will satisfy us. And here's the sad reality, is that if we're running, running to anything to fill the emptiness, apart from Jesus Christ, the source of all fullness, we will continually be more and more and more empty. The emptiness doesn't get better. The emptiness gets worse. And so it is that the prodigal son runs from God with the hope, I mean, runs from the Father with the hopes of finding fullness and life, and he comes to a place of absolute emptiness. He has lost everything. Sin leads to emptiness. The second one is this. Sin leads to brokenness. Sin leads to brokenness. I get that from verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Look at how amazing this is. Remember, this was a son, one of two sons, raised in the father's home, 
not a servant, he was a son, meaning everything that the father had was his. He had rights and privileges to all of those things. But all of a sudden, he had now run away from the father in the hopes of finding freedom, and you know what he is now? He's a slave. Every time you leave the Lord in pursuit of something else, you end up being a slave to the thing that you followed. And there is no good slave master except when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and he makes you realize that submission to his authority is the way to find life. He's a slave. Not only that, it says he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. Now, to Jews, pigs were an absolute sign of disgust and disdain. They were a picture of filth and shame and humiliation. Do you know that first century Jews thought it was wrong to say the word pig? They had another word they would use to say other thing, like that other thing, but they wouldn't say the word pig. It was unlawful for a Jew to raise pigs because they were so unclean. You wanted nothing to do with pigs. So the fact that Jesus said the word pig, and then Jesus paints a picture of a Jewish young man who had all of these rights and privileges at home, who left home to go to a far country and is now living among pigs, was the height of hitting rock bottom. This is hard for us to understand in our bacon-obsessed culture. Andrew and I were in a little gift shop on Friday, and there was all these chocolates by the cash register, and we said, which one is the best? And the lady said, this one. It was dark chocolate filled with caramel marshmallow and bacon bits. We've come that far, people. I've only, some of you are thinking, that sounds delicious. I, I haven't lived in Oconee County, uh, but a little less than two years, but I have realized that if you want to draw a crowd, you just put some pork shoulders on a smoker and let it go for a while, and supernaturally, hundreds of people will show up at your house ready to eat. We love our pork. So this may be a little bit hard for us to understand But the reality was, is Jesus has painted a picture of the most shameful place a person could possibly be, feeding pigs. Now, it's a picture of of absolute brokenness. That instead of finding more life and finding more freedom, he is a slave And he has led himself into greater disdain and greater shame and greater pain and greater humiliation. Now, let me be very clear on something. This this is an important distinction. Sin and brokenness are not the same thing. Sin is rebellion against God. It is leaving the God who has created us because we believe there's something better. Sin and brokenness are not the same, but sin leads to brokenness. So we are born sinful people which means we're born in a broken world as broken people. So we have sin, we have guilt, we have shame, we have all of this brokenness in our lives. And then, however this happens, God designed it this way, we then end up being raised by broken people. So in of ourselves, we're we're broken, and then we're raised by broken people. No matter how good you are as a parent, you're a broken person. Your parenting is broken, so we're, we're raised by broken people, which increases our brokenness. And then, apart from the fact that we're broken, raised by broken people, we often have other people around us who are broken, and we become victims of their brokenness. There's no way to even imagine all the victims in this room of someone in an attempt to fix their brokenness 
has done something to you that has led to greater brokenness in your life. Not because you chose it, but because it was done to you. And the sad reality is this, is that oftentimes because of our brokenness and particularly we become a victim of someone else's brokenness, you know what we often do? We often run to more sin. Do you notice this? That oftentimes the brokenness in our life, instead of running to the place where we'll find wholeness, we run to more brokenness and it just continues to perpetuate more and more and more brokenness. And so apart from our own sinful nature and apart from the fact that we're raised by, raised by sinful people and apart from the fact we've been victims to all this other brokenness, you know what else? We do more of it ourselves and bring more of it upon us. Very few people have influenced me more in their writing than a counselor and a Christian author named David Pallison. Listen to what he says. This is profound. He says, sin is self-inflicted suffering. Sin is self-inflicted suffering. We are suffering averse. We hate suffering. Many of the reasons people don't want to come to Jesus Christ is because there is a promise of suffering, and there is. This life of following Jesus rightly and faithfully will be hard. He says that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Choose this path, it leads to life, but it's hard. That's why a lot of people don't take it. So we don't want suffering. But the irony is this. Every time we choose to sin, we bring more suffering upon ourselves. It's sin is self-inflicted suffering. This is the crazy irony of sin is that we leave God in hopes of finding something better. But every time we walk in sin, we're bringing more suffering upon ourselves. So it's done to us by others. It's who we are by our very nature. And then we add on to it by continuing to walk away from the Lord. Sin always leads us with scars and leads us into more slavery and leads us into greater brokenness. Sin leads us to emptiness. It leads us to brokenness. The final is this. Sin leads us to loneliness. Sin leads us to loneliness. In verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. We're supposed to come to the end of that statement and really feel the weight of this man's situation and no one gave him anything. What it means is this, is that here's a man who had everything he could in the father's house, but in the hopes of finding something better, he goes, he loses everything, no one is left around him, so all of the friends he made when he was squandering all of his property and reckless living, they're all gone, there's no one else there. The only one that even knows he exists at this moment in this place is a slave owner who has about this much love and care for him. I will send you to feed my pigs. That's how much value he has to this man. And I've come to this, this realization lately as I'm raising children that it really doesn't help to spend that much time worrying about what other people think about you because other people aren't thinking about you that much. And the reason they're not is because they're just thinking about themselves. So everyone's thinking about themselves, and so we don't really need to know what everybody else thinks about us because they're just not spending that much time thinking about us. Everybody's self-consumed. And so it is right here at this moment. Here is a man who has no one thinking about him in this place. He is in a far country. There is one slave owner that knows who he is and sends him to feed pigs. He has nothing and he has no one. And he left a place where he was deeply loved and cherished and cared for. And that place still exists. And the reason he feels this depth of loneliness is because, remember, sin is not simply about breaking the rules. Sin is about leaving a relationship that we were created to have. 
So God has said, I have this relationship for you and I'm calling you into intimacy with me, but we don't believe it. We believe the lie that something's better. And the longer we walk away and the further we walk away, the more lonely we get because we're created from the relationship that we left. Running away from that relationship will never ultimately satisfy us. It always leaves us with a greater and deeper loneliness. Now listen, I would imagine some of you are thinking what I've been thinking all week, and that is this. Pastor, I get it, but I know a lot of lost people who aren't the prodigal son. They're not like in the depth of loneliness and despair and emptiness and brokenness. They have a good life. They live in a nice house. They have nice things. They have good kids. They're just kind of living life. They're fine. Let Let me say two things about that. The first one is this. If you strip away all of the things and all of the stuff and all of the money and all of the people, there is in the heart of every single one who doesn't walk intimately with Jesus Christ, emptiness, brokenness, and loneliness in every one of them. And they may hide it, they might hide it really well, but I assure you in the heart of everyone who is not walking with God, there is a sense of loneliness, emptiness, and brokenness. And they can drown it out so well, but if you get them alone and get them honest, they will say, that there is something they're missing that they're longing for and they may not know what it is, but it is in the heart of every single person who doesn't know Jesus, first of all. Second is this, is that even if they do a wonderful job of drowning all of that out with more things and more people and more stuff, they are headed into an eternity where there is never ending emptiness, brokenness, and loneliness. We are so fixated with the idea of fire in hell, which is a reality, that we forget the worst part of hell is not the fire. The worst part of hell is the absence of the goodness of God. That's hell. And a little experience of hell on earth is life without intimacy with God. And a little taste of heaven on earth is the joy of walking in intimacy with Jesus Christ. But I assure you, those who are making the decisions to not follow Christ, wandering down that path, will end up in a destination where for all of eternity, there will be increasing emptiness and brokenness and loneliness. This is the most incredible thought that God is eternal which means those of us who have trusted Christ and will go to heaven will have a never-ending experience of greater joy and intimacy with the Lord because He never ends. You never get to the end of all that He has to offer. So heaven is more and more and more and more of that. And hell is more and more and more of emptiness and brokenness and, and loneliness. No matter how much you can mask it here, there is an eternity waiting in which all of those things will be ever increasing. And can I just remind you of the older brother at the end of the story? That he's kept the rules, he's lived in the father's house, but at the end of the story, the prodigal son has come back. He's now experiencing all of the joys of the house and intimacy with the father, but the older brother is so angry because the younger brother got mercy that now he's outside of the house. And even though he's always kept the rules, now he is the lonely, broken, and empty one. Which means you can be a big bold, overt prodigal, or you can be a rule-following, quiet prodigal. But what matters is your proximity to the Father. 
But if you are distant from the Father, all of the emptiness and brokenness and loneliness will at some point descend upon you. Here's the good news. The good news is that God, in his grace, not only calls us to a decision and not only leads us in a direction, he shows us the destination. This is the, this is the, the joy of, of knowing Jesus Christ is because he shows us, here's the destination of sin. He says, I want to tell you what the lies never tell you, that this is going to lead you to emptiness, brokenness, and loneliness. This will happen. And then he says this, but if you choose by faith to follow me, that you will end up in a life in which your fullness is replacing your emptiness. And when your wholeness is replacing your brokenness and your intimacy is replacing your loneliness, those will be your experiences. But here's the challenge. Let's be honest this morning. The challenge is this. Sin promises you something right now. And Jesus asks you to believe it by faith. Anybody that ever tells you, well, I came to Jesus and everything immediately got perfect is lying. Because we are deeply broken people. But what the gospel does tell us is this, is if you choose by faith, this is the reason it's faith, if you choose by faith to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you begin a life of following him, what you will experience is day by day, as you walk with him, there is greater fullness, wholeness, and intimacy than anything else in all of life can ever give you. Every decision to turn towards Jesus and walk with him is a decision to experience more of his life. So listen to me. If it is true that every decision is leading us in a direction that determines our destination, where are your decisions leading you? Where are your decisions leading you? You know, our mission here as a church is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. What we mean is we want everybody to make an initial decision. I will choose to follow Jesus. You have to make an initial decision. I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I trust Jesus' death as the payment for my sins. And at that moment, God declares you righteous, holy, sinless before an almighty and holy God. There's got to be a moment when you do that, but you realize after that moment, the rest of your life is moment after moment after moment of choosing to trust and follow Jesus, to ignore the lie, believe Jesus is better, turn towards Christ, and recognize that every decision towards him is taking you in the direction of following him and leading you to the destination of life. Which means that every decision toward Jesus matters. I pray that by faith you would believe that and turn toward him today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.